This is exactly right. Welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan, your host, and you're listening to the Parent Footprint Podcast, where our mission is to make the world a more loving and compassionate place, one parent and one child at a time. We believe at Parent Footprint, the key to raising happy, healthy, and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same, seek happiness, health, engagement, and of course, awareness. And that is because we believe awareness is the foundation of your vision of successful parenting. And with increased awareness and intention, we can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for our children and grandchildren. Today's topic is Parenting in the Real World with Dr. Stephanie O'Leary. And let me tell you about Dr. Stephanie. She is a native of New York. She completed her undergraduate training at Ithaca College, where she earned a double major in biology and psychology with research honors in the area of neuroscience. Dr. Stephanie continued her education at the Georgia School of Professional Psychology, where she earned a doctoral degree in clinical psychology and a specialization in neuropsychology. She completed supervised trainings at Emory University School of Medicine Autism Center and Children's Healthcare of Atlanta's Department of Neuropsychology, and then went on to complete an APA-accredited internship and fellow at the Andrus Children's Center in Westchester, where she continued to provide evidence-based interventions and supervise the site's preschool therapy program. As a licensed psychologist, Stephanie began her practice in 2008, and since that time, she's provided evidence-based assessment and therapy services for children, adolescents, young adults, and parents. She clearly has a wealth of experience, which has gone into her new book, which we're going to be talking about, Parenting in the Real World, where, and she also offers comprehensive consultations to help parents successfully manage the demands of the real world while finding joy in their children. We all want to hear about that. And Also importantly, she enjoys spending time with her husband and children and their two dogs and flock of hens. She loves to read, stay active, and enjoys playing the piano and spending time outdoors. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here today. So you have a ton of clinical and practical and research experience with children. Yes, I definitely. Yes, I definitely do. I knew from early on that I I wanted to work with children and the field of psychology has provided me ample opportunity to to do so. So parenting in the real world, where did this book come from? What's the story of the story? The story of the story. Well, I have to say that this was the book that early on I was a little bit resistant to writing. Um, I, I kept thinking about the fact that in session after session, trying to help parents find joy in parenting and just really follow their own inner compass, I would repeat myself a lot. And I would find myself outlining the same steps over and over again. And many of my clients actually would say to me, you should really write this down. You should really write a book. But quite honestly, I was busy, you know, raising my own family and trying to keep everything balanced. But 
at a certain point, um, a little over a year ago, I decided it was time to sit down and to really just tell my story of my own personal parenting experience and really integrate the tools and the tips and the strategies that I found successful for myself and for my clients because parenting is the most important yet most challenging job we have, and I really wanted to be able to offer that that support and guidance for families who were looking for some support. And how did you find the writing process? Did it flow because it's the stuff that you say every day, or was it harder to put into written words? You know, I, I did a lot of dictating while I was writing this book because I wanted the tone, you know, Full self-disclosure, as a mom myself, I have read my fair share of parenting books because I always want to seek information and, and make sure I'm, I'm giving it my best. And I really felt strongly that I wanted parenting in the real world to have a conversational tone to it, not to be super dry. So I found the best way to accomplish that was to dictate a lot of the um, the text and then go back through, obviously, and edit it and edit it. So for me, uh, being flexible with myself allowed the writing process to flow, and I, I really enjoyed writing the book. It was really a refreshing experience, and I'm glad I did it. So how would you... How would you start to frame your no-nonsense approach for our listeners? So the no-nonsense approach to parenting, I think, is important. And and the way I start to frame it for parents is to really sort of drop the guilt. You know, many parents enter parenthood with a lot of expectations and a lot of concern about doing it well and doing it right. and, And that's important and valiant. But... Dropping the guilt is the first way to sort of enter into the the parenting and the real world approach, because if we as parents are feeling guilty and judging ourselves very harshly, it's very hard to move beyond that emotion and use a tool or use a strategy with your child or your teen. So like you, I work with lots of really great people, great parents who just are wanting to do the best job. in raising their kids, um, and many of those people are listening to the show, they say or are thinking, okay, that sounds great, but how do I drop the guilt? How do I get rid of that tape that constantly goes through my head? Right. The, the, the actual act of dropping the guilt, as you said, is, is more complicated than just saying it or hearing it. Um, two things that I think are important as a parent to move towards less judgment of yourself is, one, to engage in self-care, right, to mm-hmm. make it a priority to take care of yourself with the knowledge, just, you know, if you've ever taken an airline flight everywhere, the flight attendant tells you if there's an issue, you put your oxygen mask on first before you put it on your child, and it's because you can't help someone. You can't raise your child well if you're not taking care of yourself, and I think that is a concept in our society in a lot of ways that's overlooked or, you know, if, if parents are working on self-care, taking a break, saying no to something, pulling back on, you know, not overextending themselves, they can be met with outside judgment. So making self-care a priority and really understanding and believing that when you take good care of yourself, you can take good care of your child, to me, that's the first part of turning the volume down on guilt because as a psychologist, 
in practice, I know guilt is never there or not. It's a continuum. So it's about turning yep. the volume yep. down by making self-care a priority. I like that. Um, Turning then, the volume down. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead with number yeah. two. Right. So the second part, which I think is also something I wish came sort of, um, you know, attached to our baby's toes when, they, when they're coming home from the hospital with us, you know, this little uh, tag that says, it's okay for your child to struggle. It's okay for your child to experience distress. And I think this is something that ties into guilt because a lot of times as a parent, if your child's sad, upset, distressed, hurt, anything negative, you start to feel guilty about it. I did something wrong. I'm not good enough. And the reality is part of growing up and developing and becoming a whole person is learning to deal with that type of distress. So again, shifting expectations as a parent to know if your kid is happy all the time, every minute, you're probably not not setting enough boundaries or you know, there's stuff to work on. So accepting that mm-hmm. it's okay for kids to struggle a bit. That's really important. Um, and yes, it would be great if those little tags came on the toes because <laughs> somehow we're all thought, like, we need to soothe our kids, right? They're crying. They're trying to right. tell us something. They're hungry. <laughs> they're tired. Right. And, and they get old. They, they grow very slowly. So I, I find that... Our parenting behavior doesn't change all that much over time, and we have a one-year-old that turns into a four-year-old, which turns into eight-year-old, and so on and so on, and we don't get the memo, like the important memo that you just said, that one of our goals as parents is to help our kids learn how to face obstacles, pick themselves back up, and become resilient. And uh, the guilt often keeps parents from allowing that process. Exactly. And one of the the things I say to parents constantly, and I think I refer to it in parenting in the real world, is, you know, trade in the bubble wrap for band-aids and give yourself permission to let your kids fall down and learn how to get up because it's true. There's no neon sign that goes on when your child is two and a half that says, back off, mom and dad, like, I, I got this. And it's hard to keep up as, as a parent. I really like that phrase, so I'm going to say it again. (laughs) Trade in the (laughs) bubble wrap for Band-Aids. That's really, that's a great image. It's a great image. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you seeing as, in addition to guilt, what are the toughest challenges that parents face in the modern world of parenting? So one of the hardest things that I um, see and, and hear from parents that they're dealing with, and obviously as a mom myself of, uh, you know, a child going into middle school, a child going into high school, one of the, the most challenging things that, that I hear about um, are, are things like confidence. I'm worried my child is not going to be confident. Um, and the other thing that I hear a lot about is, um, you know, responsibility. I'm, I'm concerned that my mm-hmm. child is going to be entitled or I'm concerned my child is really out of touch with, you know, the real world. Those are things that mindful parents are, I think, reflecting on, knowing that, you know, we do our best to provide for our children and care for them, but out there in the real world, not everyone has their best interest at heart. I think that weighs heavily on parents, that their children be able to take care of themselves. Yes, and, and then here is the, the paradox or the riddle is we're worried about our kids taking care of themselves in the future, 
And many of us have trouble allowing our kids to take care of them, teaching them to take care of themselves and allowing them to take care of themselves. Yes, yes. And I find, too, that a lot of parents with those concerns, like you said, the paradox, it's that the act of allowing a child to become a little more self-sufficient, it's messy. So you don't sort of teach your child to you know, prepare food for themselves and the first time it's going to be beautifully from start to finish cleaned up in the snap of a finger. It's messy. Things get, you know, broken and and it doesn't happen as easily as it would if we were doing it. So it's about being mindful, but at the same time pairing that with, you know, pulling back on the control, letting your child take a little bit, step into ownership of their own abilities and practice over time because, when you launch it, whether it's 18 or 20 or whatever age, those are hard lessons to learn. You know, let let your kids learn those lessons while there's still a safety net, even if it gets messy. Mm-hmm. And, and I imagine, I mean, people need mantras or some self-talk about that. Because as, as I said in the intro, one of the things that we talk about at Parent Footprint is awareness is the foundation of quote, successful parenting, whatever that success means for you. But we have to be aware of what our goals are for our kids. So if our goals are, we want to raise a confident, independent child, we will behave, well, ideally, we would behave in certain ways that would foster that growth. Right, right. And one of those mantras that I use myself on a daily basis and that I encourage Mm -hmm. all of the clients I work with to use is, what's my bottom line? And and to be flexible. Well, what is my bottom line? Because it, and it may change if I'm exhausted and it's 7 p.m. on Thursday and we're running behind schedule. My bottom line may be we need to get through dinner and homework as quickly as possible. And then I'm not going to involve everyone else so much. But if it's, you know, 4.30 on a Tuesday and everyone's having a great day and I have a lot of internal stamina left, then I may say this is a great time to bring my kids in and give them more responsibility with whether it's dinner prep or, you know, taking care of the household. But to know your bottom line moment to moment will help you move forward you know, with those expectations so that you don't wind up losing it and yelling or saying things, you know, you regret later, because that's, that's a really, uh, that's a way to increase your guilt as a parent. And we're trying to turn the volume totally, down on that totally. guilt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Who loses it and yells at their kids and is stressed out? I don't know any of those yeah. people, right? Uh, <laughs> we're talking about the real yeah. world here. <laughs> exactly. My hand is raised right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, so I also, bottom line, because also another bottom line could be it's a weeknight or a weekend, and your bottom line can be we want to just have a good night together without stress and some laughter and um, not a lot of responsibility, right? That could be another bottom line if you, if you can uh, manifest that. Absolutely. That I think is so important. And the sixth chapter in parenting in the real world is titled Finding Joy. And I I love that you brought up that example because sometimes the bottom line is we're going to have fun or we're going to let like let loose and relax. And that means you're going to bring different expectations to, to the parenting situation there. And it should be a priority because, you know, we're all so busy and it's so easy for things to just become you know, wrote and the daily grind. And we need to make a conscious effort as parents to prioritize 
you know, recreation and, and just family time, closeness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mentioned the word success and successful parenting, and that's talked about a lot these days. And uh, the good news is people are starting to challenge the notion of what is really success. What are you seeing from your clientele, and what are you recommending about how parents decide and foster, quote, success in their kids? So I do. I, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I feel like the idea of success for many generations was about achievement. You know, you're a successful parent if your child goes to this school or achieves this career or something very tangible. And my personal perspective is we have to gauge success with regard to how resilient our children are. So our kids are going to mess up. They're going to find themselves in unfortunate circumstances. They're going to fall down. So I think the measure of success for me is how well can your child get back up again, take accountability for the situation, and learn from it. So it's about mm-hmm. you know learning to tolerate and deal with and overcome hardship or success. I think that to me, personally as a parent, if I can help my children move towards that, I will feel like I served them as well as I could have. Yeah. And um, again, easy, easier to say, harder to do in the moment. Um, as a parent right. myself, I know this very well. What are some, what do you recommend to parents in those tough times when they're seeing their kids struggle to mm. get through it in a way where it's a it's a learning life experience rather than, uh, you know, a fix it or calm my anxiety and guilt and jump in there. Right, right. Because who, who doesn't want to do that? We've all lived a lot. And a lot of the things our kids struggle with, we know the answer. You know, we, we know the, the best resolution. I think a lot of putting this into practice involves less. Um, I talk to parents about mm-hmm. getting smaller, which is so interesting because when our kids are born, we're the biggest force in their lives. We wrap them up and we bundle them and we make them laugh and we are big and they like that. And as they get older and they're 8 and 10 and then teenagers, we need to get smaller. And when they're struggling, mm-hmm. instead of swooping in and providing the whiteboard with the play that they're going to do to take to make it okay, we have to sit back and listen um, there's a whole chapter about listening and parenting in the real world, which seems second nature, but it's it's hard to just hear your child, especially when they're saying, I'm upset, I'm in pain, I'm heartbroken, I, I don't know what to do, and, and giving your child the space to express mm-hmm. themselves and have those feelings without judging them or, you know, really providing commentary, that's step one to sort of build this, this resilience and the independence. From there, because you could listen, you know, forever and either your child is going to turn to you and think you're crazy because you're not saying anything or ask you a question. So when that conversation sort of pivots, giving some validation to your child is important. And this this process of validating can be really hard, especially when our kids find themselves in situations that we can't understand. We've all been disappointed and frustrated and annoyed, but the things that annoy us are different than the things that annoy our children. So it's important to practice validating or just saying to your kid, hey, I, I, get, I understand, it seems you're really upset, that's, that sounds hard. 
it's challenging as a parent to deliver that validation if you think your kid is a little like, you know, off the rails or if it feels like they're <laughs> overreacting yeah. and, and you think they're actually being too dramatic. Um, it's still important to do that, though, because the visual I always think to is, you know, if you're two vehicles traveling and you validate your child, you're now moving in the same direction. If you skip that step and you don't validate, whatever you say next is going to be like a head-on collision, and it's not (laughs) going to feel fun for your child to accept that or hear that. Then you have conflict, which creates distance. So this, this art of validating, even when you think your child's a little crazy, because I think we've all been there as parents, um, it's, mm-hmm. it's important. You know, the, the fork fell off the table, and it's the only fork your child can use. And you're like, well, we, we have a drawer full of 12 other forks. Why can't we? You know, that's, that's going to be a head-on collision. And if you can just pause and say, I'm sorry, this seems like it's really hard for you. Whatever you say next, your child will be more able to accept it and hear it. So validation is another great strategy to use when you're trying to help your child move towards, you know, independence and and resilience. Really well said. And um, I love your analogies. (laughs) I mean, that the idea of, you know, being on the road with them, traveling with them versus colliding. And how much we parent, like we know when we're going to collide. Like oh. 99% of the time, if we really take one moment to think about how is our child going to respond to what I'm about to say, I think we would predict accurately it's going to be a disaster. It's going to be a crash. Oh, yeah. It, it reads like a playbill for a Broadway show. And enter the totally. laughter and enter the conflict. It's We yeah. are all, it, and we get involved in these dyna- patterns with our children that become like a dance. And sometimes you can get stuck in that conflictual sort of adversarial uh, type of exchange. And what I always tell parents and what I've seen happen for myself is that I promise parents, when you make a slight change like this and instead of giving advice, you listen. And instead of jumping in with sort of a, a lecture, you validate. Your kids are going to respond really quickly because they are waiting for this type of nurturance and guidance. And and when you show up with it, it doesn't matter that for the last 18 days you fought about the fork that fell. It matters that today they feel heard and supported. That's the way that it works. You know, kids are really resilient and forgiving, and and it's important to keep that in mind when you're trying to make these shifts. Mm -hmm. Which also helps with reducing our guilt, right? Our kids are resilient. They are not going to, we're not going to, damage them by saying one wrong thing or or having a, a just a crash. Right. And, you know, I think that that's important to talk about, too, because we all, and, and, you know, in the book, I talk a lot about the fact I am not preaching any of this from atop a white horse. I mean, I share personal vignettes in, in parenting in the real world about how I've come to these strategies. And I have my fair share of not so shining parent parenting moments. I think that One of the things I talk a lot about, and again, there's another chapter in the book about it, is being accountable. If you do say something you regret, we all have. If you do yell or are shorter than you want to be, because we all are sometimes, if you can be accountable to your kids, and it doesn't mean saying I'm sorry a hundred times a day because that's, you know, that becomes sort of like the Charlie Brown teacher voice, like wah, 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 it doesn't mean much. Yeah. But if you can say, you know what, I was 
I was wrong. I should not have spoken to you like that, or I shouldn't have said these words to you. I'm going to try to make better choices in the future. That's not an empty apology. That's you taking accountability for something that you regret and then entering into a verbal contract with your child by saying, I'm going to try to do better in the future. And that helps turn the volume down on the parenting guilt, but it does this weird, tricky neuropsychological thing where you say, I'm sorry, and it's like a magic eraser and you move on. You say to your child, I'm really going to try not to get so loud when I'm frustrated. That activates a different neural network, which which will actually hold you to change that behavior in the future. So I think that that's something great instead of just feeling guilty and buying your kid an ice cream cone later because you yelled at them this morning. You know, this is a more adaptive way to approach it. Mm-hmm. And I like the uh, neuropsych addition here for folks that we can change our kids' neural networks, our, their neuropsychological connections by looping back around and being accountable and human to them. It's really important. Absolutely. It's so important because our children are watching us. I mean, I know... That, that you look in the animal kingdom, you see this. You look in you know, a grocery store, you see this. Children are always looking and watching and observing and taking it in. And as parents like it or not, we are always in the spotlight. And I think we focus a lot on the negative things we do and how maybe that's going to not be so great for our kids. My whole topic of conversation when I'm working with parents and consulting with them to try to help them turn things around is, well, you know, take advantage of that spotlight. Do something that is really appropriate and um, show your family values by taking accountability and, and use that moment of empowerment to show your children how to act, and they will follow. And you'll hear it, mm-hmm. and I, I think this is always great. You know, kids will parrot things back. You know, the, if you start holding yourself accountable by saying, I'm sorry, you know, I, I was upset and I shouldn't have said this, I'll try harder in the future – your children, after a short period of time, will start saying that back to you. You know, I'm sorry I didn't set the table when, when you told me to. I'm, I'm going to try better. And you, when you hear it, mm-hmm. that's when you know, oh, mm-hmm. wait, this brain, this brain stuff really does make sense. It, it's not wow, all, you know. this is actually totally working. Yeah. <laughs> There's some, something to this stuff. Yeah. So let's, So tell us about joy. How do we bring in joy to our families? Right. I love joy. And, and I, you know, I feel like it's hard. It's, it's sort of sad that we're even having to talk about it because we would think mm-hmm. we want our babies and we want families. And this is something we've worked so hard for and looked forward to. And then there's a lot of joy suckers out there, just things that sap us <laughs> yeah. of our energy. And it's, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. So one of the ways as a parent to turn the volume up on joy is to find those joy suckers. If you are really into your social media and your phone and so connected to it that you get agitated when you're pulled away, joy sucker. Set some limits with yourself on that. If you're so busy that when you come home you're collapsing because you just are spent and you have any way to control it, maybe pull back on some things. So again, I I talk about this a lot, but that self-care and self-awareness is the foundational level. To, to turning the volume up on joy. But listen, we all do do our best there, and then it's about scheduling it and making time for it. It's about mm-hmm. saying we don't always have to be so serious. Let's turn some music on, you know, while we're all in the house together. Let's 
be silly and make a game out of something. And I think this is something that children do a better job at taking the lead on when they're young, like under five, under seven. And then as our kids get older, we have to work harder because sometimes they're going through their own developmental phases and don't want to be so, so goofy sometimes. So we as parents have to say, no, you know, we're, we're eating dinner on the floor tonight, you know, or outside, uh, you know, on, on the grass just to sit and disconnect a little bit from technology and, and be together. So it's figuring out what your joy suckers are and reducing them and then scheduling the joy and making time for it. Nice. Okay, I'm thinking got so many I have so many questions to ask and I have to choose okay so getting down to parenting in the real world if there was one thing you could tell suggest to our audience to parents to focus on one thing to help parent in the real world in the way that they want to parent what would it be We'll boil it all down to one thing. So if I had to choose sort of the the foundational approach that would give parents the most bang for their buck, it would have to be listening. And mm-hmm. probably more so than listening, biting your tongue or even your cheek. And sometimes you may draw blood because it's it's so hard <laughs> not to engage. But I think that art of listening does a couple of things. For parents, it forces us to be mindful when you're listening, you get to reflect on what is your bottom line, what are my long-term goals, how do I want this to end. So not only does it allow your child to feel heard, but it just gives you a second to, to regroup and mm-hmm. get off of autopilot. So I think that if there's one thing that parents can start doing today after hearing this, it's just stop talking and let your kid talk and see what unfolds, see what that space provides your relationship you know what comes of it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. listen all right we can do that everyone practice <laughs> that today one time listening especially when you want to talk that's the biggest challenge yes all right stephanie it's time the parent footprint okay. moment question tell us about a time when you became aware of yourself as an individual or as a parent and that new awareness had a positive impact on your child. Okay, first of all, I love this question. I've thought a lot about it. And in looking back through my life and my life as a parent, what I came to was um, a very challenging parent moment with my um, oldest. She was probably three and a half at the time, and I was very pregnant, and she had been having tantrums, a lot of tantrums, and this wasn't new. And it just was never working out very well. It was always very dramatic, and everyone wound up crying and messy. And there was this one particular tantrum, and we were back on the roller coaster, and I knew how it was going, and it wasn't going to be fun. And I stopped, and I sat down in the hallway with my big pregnant belly, and she was (laughs) continuing her tantrum. And I, I remember saying to myself, this is insanity, right? I want this to end differently, but I keep doing the same things. And I had one of those little uh, epiphanies or probably a big epiphany. And what I realized about myself was I so badly wanted to fix it. I was so driven by this desire to make her feel comforted and make her feel okay and to fix the situation. And that was driving 
all of my actions. And, and then because of that, I was putting that on her. You know, I was sending the message, you need to be fixed, which means you're broken. <laughs> and, and I sort of, it, mm-hmm. I saw it happening, you know, however you do in those moments. And my, my shift that day was that I just really stopped and I got very quiet and I worked on calming myself down because I was all worked up and my face was probably red and my blood pressure was probably high. I started to calm myself down. And then I did see, listen, it wasn't like magic, but, you know, that tantrum itself ended a bit less um, catastrophically. And then over time, that, that to me was a, a very pivotal parenting moment, that, that insight that I had to work on letting go of that control and not setting the expectation that things had to be fixed, that that allowed me to be calmer, and then I was just a more available parent, and things weren't as intense with regard to the conflict after that. That is big. That was a big awareness. That was that was huge, and and I to to this day thank my lucky stars it happened before baby number two showed up and added all of his uh, his wonderful intensity to the situation. But it was it was a very big um, awareness that I had, and and I immediately started bringing that into the work I do with families because when I find something that works, I want to share it. Thank you for sharing it with everyone. I mean, that's just really important that, I mean, how much, it goes back to one of your main, um, one of your main points about self-care and how we just have to care for ourselves and be in tune with ourselves so we can be the kind of people we want to be for our kids. Absolutely. Absolutely. So a few highlights here, guys. There are several of them. Drop the guilt Drop the guilt. It's okay for your child to struggle. Remember, there's a little tag that was supposed to be on their toes. Trade in the bubble wrap for Band-Aids. That is awesome. Ask yourself, what is your bottom line in this moment? Drop the joy suckers. Listen, 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 listen to your kids. And looping it back to where we just were, Focus on yourself, focus on your health, focus on your bandwidth, because the more of all of that you have, the healthier you will be, and also the better it will be for your child. Stephanie, thanks so much for joining us and giving us your wisdom and experience today. Everyone, find her book, read her book, devour it. Live it. Parenting in the real world with Dr. Stephanie O'Leary. Uh, Stephanie, tell everyone where they can find your book and the rest of your stuff. Sure. So the book Parenting in the Real World is on Amazon, which I'm sure no one is familiar with, but no, it can be on your yeah. doorstep probably within 24 <laughs> hours. Um, it's a very, very conversational read. It's easy to get through. There's not a lot of dead weight in there. So if if you're over parenting books, you can try this one. I hope it won't disappoint. Um, The other thing to know is that if after reading the book or hearing the interview, if there are parents who want some consultation, some specific guidance and support, I do offer phone consultations to families. um, And information about all of that can be found at the website, which is www.stephanieoleary.com. Awesome. Thanks, Stephanie. Really appreciate it joining us today. It was great to be here. I I think it's a a wonderful topic, and I'm so happy that we were able to chat. And we need to do it again sometime. 
sounds great. All right, everyone. Check us out at www.parentfootprint.com. You will find Parent Footprint Awareness Training, which is designed to help you systematically and in an interactive way find your vision of successful parenting and be the parent that you want to be. Think about being the person you want your child to become. Model it for them. Show them. Be human. Be accountable. And as always, think about this question. What footprint do you want to leave?